This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Uh, my name is Alistair Roberts. I'm the Rappaport Professor of Law and Public Policy here at Suffolk University Law School, and I'm also the academic head of the Rappaport Center for Law and Public Service. I've just finished writing a paper. It's called WikiLeaks, The Illusion of Transparency. It's actually available on the SSRN website. That's at www.ssrn.com. And I recently gave a lecture on the same topic at Hamilton College in New York State. The paper and the lecture were basically a critical appraisal of the WikiLeaks controversy. There was intense news coverage about a series of disclosures that were prompted by WikiLeaks last year, ranging from a video of a military attack on individuals in Baghdad in April through to the disclosure of war logs, uh, massive documents about the Afghanistan and Iraq wars, to the release of diplomatic cables in November. And I give sort of a critical appraisal of the, of the controversy surrounding all of those leaks. One of the interesting things about the WikiLeaks story from 2010 are the repeated claims that were made about the scale of all of these leaks. The Afghan and Iraq war logs, which were these set of documents relating to military incidents in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq, together constituted hundreds of thousands of discrete records. And the leak in, that was uh, provided in November, which was the disclosure of State Department cables, included or at least WikiLeaks has in its possession, probably about a quarter million cables that were sent between the State Department and various uh, diplomatic missions around the world. And frequently, the debate about what WikiLeaks had done, references were made to the scale of these leaks, how massive they were, frequent references to the biggest leaks in military or diplomatic history. One of the things I try to point out in the paper is that we live in a digital age, and it's a little misleading to assume that these are massive leaks just because they happen to constitute tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of discrete records. Because in the digital age, the stockpile of information that's available to government is massive, massively larger than the leaks themselves. New technology has caused this uh, explosion in the amount of information, including classified information held by government agencies. And so even though these leaks seem big on their own account, when you compare them to that increasingly large stockpile of classified information still held by government securely, they're not actually as big as WikiLeaks was making them out to be. One of the points I make in the paper is that WikiLeaks started off with this fairly simple idea of what its business was going to be. It would obtain information from leakers, guarantee them anonymity, publish the information on the web, and the result of publication would be that individuals, citizens, would see the information, uh, probably get outraged about it, take political action, and, and get changes in government policy as a result. That's the sort of what I call the simple logic of, of radical transparency. And I mean radical in the sense of supercharged because of the way in which new technology can allow the rapid dissemination of information. And basically, 2010 was a learning year for WikiLeaks in which it realized the world didn't work quite that simply because all of this massive information had to be managed. It had to be interpreted. It didn't make sense on its own account to ordinary citizens. Someone had to figure out what it meant and what the story was. And one of the things I discuss in the paper is the way in which the media became increasingly involved as partners to WikiLeaks in playing the role 
of interpreter of the information and also playing an important role in bringing public attention to the story, things that WikiLeaks itself realized it couldn't do on its own. And then I point out in the paper one of the big ironies of this is that the media outlets that were becoming the critical partners in this saga are themselves under assault because of the advent of the Internet. The media players that played an important role, New York Times, The Guardian, Le Monde in France, all of them, like the industry as a whole, are suffering from a really serious downturn in revenue uh, because of the advent of the Internet. They're cutting news uh, staff dramatically. So the irony here is that the WikiLeaks model actually hinges on the cooperation of a partner whose capacity to help is being undermined because of technological change. It's not clear that the 2010 leaks actually produced the results that WikiLeaks expected. The main players in, in WikiLeaks, including Julian Assange, clearly expected that the world was going to change in significant ways because the information went out. Assange himself expected, for example, that public opinion about the war in Afghanistan would change. And we didn't see big changes. When you look at opinion, public opinion about the war in Afghanistan, uh, it has softened, but it's not clear that it's softened because of these leaks. In fact, if you ask a more specific question about the conduct of the war and the progress of the war in Afghanistan, it looks like public opinion actually became more favorable as the leaked information went out. And you didn't see, for example, a, a global diplomatic crisis because of the release of the cables as some media players were expecting. So there just wasn't the, the sort of big consequences that I think WikiLeaks might have expected. And one of the ironies is actually that public attitudes toward WikiLeaks itself deteriorated throughout the year. Basically, the more information it put out into the public domain, the more skeptical the public became about the WikiLeaks operation. Uh, one of the other difficulties with this story is the way in which the government responded to the leaks. You know, we tend sometimes when we're talking about the way in which technology is changing the ground rules about transparency to forget that this is a game that goes on for several rounds. And we're just in the first round of the game. So civil society organizations like WikiLeaks, non-governmental organizations, find a new technology like the Internet, and they realize that they can use this to promote governmental transparency. You know, for example, by facilitating the leaking of information and publishing that information. But it, it's a game that goes on for multiple rounds, and the next round of the game is government figuring out how it's going to respond to this innovation. And in this case, you've seen government respond very quickly and really almost brutally. For example, cracking down on imprisoning a Bradley Manning, the individual suspected of being the source of all of the 2010 leaks. We've already seen federal government agencies in the United States doing a broad crackdown on internal procedures to make sure leaks don't happen again. And we've seen Congress debating strengthening uh, criminal penalties for unauthorized disclosure of information. So you've seen this broad and very powerful backlash in Washington because of these leaks that's going to have adverse consequences for transparency. Uh, and one of the deep ironies is that this is coming from an administration that promised that open government would be its priority on its very first day in office. But clearly national security concerns are trumping those initial promises about transparency. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. 
please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.